0: Do you want to start a podcast? I know I did, and you're listening to it thanks to the help of Anchor. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. It's totally free and has everything you need in a podcast in one place. You can record, edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, and distribute it to listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more everything you need all in one place completely free what's stopping you go get anchor one of the strongest greatest race horses to ever run retired early was living the good life as a stud was a victim to a terrorist act unlike one we have never seen a crazy story of a great horse a great runner that deserved more. This is the story of Shigar. Welcome to the Sports Moments podcast, where every sports moment deserves its replay. I'm your host, Ethan Rees. Your sports historian and giant goofball, which best describes this show sports history and goofballness thrown in there. This is not a dateline only facts podcast. I will joke around, tell the most factually accurate story I can, but have a good time doing it. So now let's sit back and jump into the sports time machine. And what we're going to do now is get into this crazy story about Sugar, the racehorse, and his abduction. And we're going to get into Sugar! Yeah, we. Sorry, I couldn't help. I've been researching this, and that has been stuck in my head the whole time as I do this. So we're going to go into a little bit about the owner of Sugar and what led to this whole event and why he was probably targeted. And also we're gonna get into sugar, <laughs> sugar, sugar, and as there is sugar. <laughs> and we are going to go into his life and his unfortunate, we don't know, but possible doom. Sadly, all for the greed of money. Let's get into the man behind Shigar. I'm, so, I'm not going to stop doing that song. I can't help it. So the man behind Shigar is Aga Khan the fourth. I'm not going to go through all the Aga Khans, but it's a little bit interesting that he's involved in this at all. <laughs> but if he wasn't involved, this may have never happened. So you needed someone with his prominence. To be a part of this, so Aga Khan is actually a title. They are a royalty, a part, an Islamic royalty, but they're not over territories like most royalties. It is a religious royalty. They are presumed to be descendants of Muhammad. So I mean, who can say? They're all parts of Christianity, but different denominations. That's similar to this. And I don't know how they gained royalty and everything. It's a little interesting that they are, because when he was a kid, he was a, a prince. They called him Prince. He has led an interesting life. Let's just say that he is the eldest son of Prince Ali Khan and his first wife, Princess. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> I'm I'm, I'm, I'm going to kidding. So it's his first wife he's from. He later remarries, and he has a second wife. And he spends a lot of his childhood in Kenya, of none places. And an interesting thing is he was born in Switzerland, spends a lot of his childhood in Kenya. He's all over the place. And technically, he has nationality in Britain, France, Portugal, and Switzerland. Four nationalities. It's insane. And this whole all starts in Ireland. How does he end up there? We'll get to that point. He grows up and he's tutored privately, you know, because they have money at the Wazoo. And he later attends the Institute yeah, the Institute of Lee Ro- Rosie in Switzerland. Uh, what? This kid's gone from Switzerland to Kenya, back to Switzerland, and probably on private planes or whatever they had back then. It's just crazy to me as a kid, as a kid, I lived in one place. I I could imagine maybe moving around somewhat in America, but going from country to country army brats that have done that. Just those people impressed me just to go through so many cultures like that. It's crazy. So he goes to that boarding school because it was a boarding school because back in the sixties, seventies, Parents didn't care about kids. No. They didn't even pay attention to him. Do whatever you want, just don't get hurt or don't die. Pretty much that's what they said to him back in the day. So he sent to a boarding school because parents didn't want a parent. <laughs> Not all, but a lot of them. <laughs> parents didn't want a parent. So he spent nine years there and he in his own words got fair grades. He wasn't uh hugely intelligent. But, you know, it came time for him to choose a college. And, you know, you you have fair grades going into school, so you probably can go to, like, you know, a public school, nothing, like, crazy. No, he had his choice of any school he wanted, and he chose to go to school in America, and he wanted to go to MIT. But his grandfather, who was the leader at the time of the Naziri Islami, so that kind of sucks, you don't get to go where you want to go, But to be able to go to Harvard and you're not even a good student, you don't have grades, such nepotism there. Such nepotism in this family. Of course, all royalties have nepotism. That's what it's all about. So there's nepotism to get him there. So he ends up going to Harvard and he graduated with a degree in history, graduating cum laude. He thinks that the times are changing so much that they need a young leader to guide them that will be there through all the changes that happen because technology is changing so much and the world is changing faster than it has before. Which I actually commend him. That is really crazy thinking for someone in the 1950s because he got he was bestowed... He was bestowed the title Aga Khan in 1957. That's two years before he even graduated college. So his grandfather was like, you can take over. You're going to be great. We need a young guy. But talk to your grandma if you needed any advice. So it was, so kind of while he's finishing college and everything, his grandma kind of ran everything. Which is still kind of crazy. And I'm sure his dad was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And that's... I have a lot of power to just name whoever you want to take over. Another interesting thing is, I don't know how he did this because he doesn't actually have citizenship there, but he skied for Iran in 1964 in the Winter Olympics. Now, he didn't win a medal or anything, but still, if you're skiing for them, you're probably a pretty good athlete. But Or was that just him saying, hey, I'm the leader. I can do whatever I want because that is 100% possible too. <laughs> he's not the leader, just be just so you know, he's not the leader of all of the Muslim faith, just a denomination. In 1969, I married former British model Sarah Francis Coker Pole because why not have four names? It's weird. Who after they got married took the name Begum salam aga khan why make it easy right <laughs> and with her they had one daughter and two sons together zariah rahim and hassam but after 11 years they got divorced in 1995. but in 1998 aga khan married his second wife gabrielle Renat tyson who assumed the name bigam Arana Aga Khan. And she was 27 years younger than Aga Khan. 2 years after their marriage, of course when Aga Khan was 64, they had a son Ali Muhammad Aga Khan. But unfortunately in 2011 they did get divorced. But hey, age 64 having a kid, impressive, right? <laughs> um the Aga Khan family or the, the royals, the royalty family is an estimated net worth of 13 billion dollars this isn't just a lot of land they do own land but it wasn't like they inherited a lot of land. they bought it and got even more and this comes from racehorses obviously the stud farms he has there to an exclusive yacht club he has in the bahamas two jets that he has and several estates, but he mainly lives in France. He's also been involved in uh, many other business ventures, communication media, luxury hotels. But most of his wealth right now is coming from the horse racing and in breeding operations that he has actually in France. But he does also own in Ireland as well. And he has actually produced some of the greatest Irish racehorses while he's had that and let's get into his most famous or most infamous horse sugar and what led his notoriety and who he was to sugar's kidnapping sugar was fouled or born on march 3rd 1978 in She's shown a private stud of Aga Khan IV near the Gurk Racecourse in Ireland. Now, Shiger was born with a white blaze, four white socks, and a wall blue eye. What does all that mean? So, the white blaze is the front of the horse, the nose, the snout, whatever you want to call it, right there. He has a white line, and the four white socks are the legs are white at the bottom. And the blue uh, wall eye is a lazy eye. He had a lazy eye. So you didn't know whether he was looking at you or looking at the ground. His father was great nephew. Because the greatest of all things is the nephew. <laughs> Just a weird name in general. But great nephew was a British stallion who had wins that included the Prixtus and Monon the Prix Stoller in France in 1967. And he had other really good runners named Grotti, Mrs. Penny, and told me. Okay, one thing about racehorsing that I absolutely love is the names of racehorses. Because, for one, every racehorse needs a unique name it's you have to have a unique name and can't repeat because then it gets confusing. Well, over the years you have to come up with some really random names and the best thing I have ever seen in horse racing and ever heard YouTube. it. It's called my wife knows everything. My wife doesn't know It is a call between two race horses going back and forth named, one named, my wife knows everything, and this another named, my wife doesn't know. Hilarious. Them going back and forth. And that's the kind of things that happen when you have to name these animals very different names. Like, how do you name an animal sugar? Where does that come from? And then the great nephew, grotty, Mrs. Penny, told me. Like this, these are such random names and it goes on forever and ever and ever. That's why you don't see like every horse named Seabiscuit or every horse named Secretariat. So you, you don't have these repeat names. And his mother was Charmin, the seventh generation descendant of Montez May, a horse that was described by the natural sports celebrity as one of the most important board mayors of the 20th century. So now that sugar is here, he is born, he is a little colt, little itty-bitty colt. Oh, so cute! Okay, so he's born the year before Aga Khan had started to send some of his promising young Colts over to Michael Stout in Newmarket, which was in England. Stout that year had a really good year. He had trained the Oaks, the Irish, and the Yorkshire, the Fair Saline and the Gold Cup and the Shakamazoo winners that year. So very good year, strong trainer. And so he was sending his young Colts to go get trained over there. And according to Stout, Sugar was really easy to break and had a good temperament for racing and he responded well to running and was just a natural galloper. So if you don't know racing horses you usually don't start racing horses till they get to about the year of 2 to 3. So he starts racing when he gets to his 2-year-old season. In September of 1980 Sugar has his first race. First race is the Crisp Plate with with Lester Pigap as his jockey. The race was open to two-year-old Colts and geldings over a one-mile straight at Newberry. He was listed as the favorite with odds 11 to 8. The gates open, they all take off, and he stays behind the competition. He hangs back, he starts drafting, he, he works his way, and then he just systematically passes one by one by one And he ends up winning by two and a half links. It's a wide amount he wins by. Clear finish, no photo needed. And after that race, his trainer, Stout, said Sugar would run one more race that year to gain some more experience for his year three season that was coming up. Sugar's second race was a one-mile William Hill. He ran on the 25th of October in 1980. He had the same jockey, and with odds of 5-2, to two, he was in an experienced field of 7. Sugar sat behind again. He's not a guy that just goes out and takes the lead right away and holds it. He's a guy that hangs back. He hangs back, and he's right behind the leader of the race, and then he starts to challenge. He starts to try to overtake the leader. But unfortunately, beldel Flutter, the other horse, edged him out and pulled away by two and a half lengths. So he lost the second race by the same amount he won the first race by. But this was really just to get him experience racing. So he's one and one as a horse, not great, but he's still very young. And year three is when you really start to hit your prime as a race horse. The end of 1980 into 1981, he starts to fill out more and get even stronger. He's able to put on more muscle. It's so weird to talk about a horse putting on muscle. Like,
1: yeah, get that horse
0: creatine me. Bulk up. I'm going to bump you up. So Stout had decided to run Sugar in that year's derby, the, the Epsom Derby, which is one of the bigger races in that area at the time. It's like what would be part of the Triple Crown here? He prepared him with the Guardian Newspaper Classic Trial in April of 1981 where he was ridden by a new jockey this time, Walter Swinburne, because when you need to swim, you gotta burn. It's swim burn, but it sounds like a swimburn I gotta, ooh, I got a bad swimburn oh, oh, it's like a rug burn, but like with the water, it's such a bad swim burn. Okay, no. <laughs> so, good old Swinburne was warning him with the, with a nine horse one point one and one fourth mile race. Sugar raised his pace after the one mile. Sugar, in this instance, he's now more confident. He's bigger. He's stronger. What's he do? He takes off and he takes the lead. And he goes and he starts running and building and building and building and building. And he wins by ten links. That's 80 to 90 feet. That is a long, long way to win by. In that race, he was a 25 to 1 odd to win. So you could have made lots of money by throwing down some some of that money on sugar. And that was his tune of praise for the, for the Epsom Derby. Now, before that tune of he was a 25 to 1 odd to win. The Epsom Derby. But after his tune race, where he just demolished all the other horses, his uh, odds were now eight to one. You got to get that money in early, man. <laughs> you got to get it in there. But still, opportunity to make some bank in that gambling. So, in his selected Chester, the Chester Vase race to run May 5th, 1981. So he takes off. And he starts running with the leader. So it's just like, hey, yo, guys. You guys having fun running? Let's keep running. Let's just run together. Let's just, just enjoy this time together. So after about one mile, though, with a half mile to go, Swinburne. Good old Swinburne. Oh, got my Swinburne. I should have dived in so fast. Got Swinburne. Urged sugar to increase his speed. And he did. He's like, okay, see you fellas later. And took off. Like a rocket. Like he hit some NAS. Just takes off. And he wins by 12 links. He is just one of those rockets at the end. You're like, he just blows you into false sense of security. Like, oh, I could win this. I could do this. And then it just takes off. You're like, what just happened? So then his next race on June 3rd, 1981, was the big one. The Epson Derby. Several over one and a half-mile course in Surrey, Ireland. Derby is a group one flat race for three-year-old thoroughbred colts and fillies. I love that name for a female horse. A filly. The race starts after the top of the uphill start. Of course, Sugar was well-placed to move through the other runners. Again, he's kind of hanging back. He doesn't make his move till the end. He's a, He's a... He's just chilling, just coasting, just going. Just chill, 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 chill. Until he gets to the final turn, which they call Tattenham Corner. Sponsored by Dad and Ham. We get all your ham, Tatten, Because we want to tattoo your ham. Because your ham needs to be personalized. We all need a good tattooed ham. No, it's Tattenham. He hits the Nas, He's ready to go. He starts to chuck, chuck, chuck. Take over the lead. He's taking over. He's taking over. And even good old Swinburne. Oh, got my Swinburne. Why did he go off the high dive? Good old Swinburne. Ease off the pace with two furlongs to go. A furlong is about an eighth of a mile. So he had roughly a fourth of a mile left. He kind of eased off the brakes because he was winning by so much at the time. He just hit that NAS and he was ready to go. And he ended up winning by... Ten links. He eased off towards the end. He could have demolished them even more. And this was even the largest margin of a win in the Derby's history. So the second place jockey, John Mathis, the jockey of the horse, glint of God. He's got a glint of God in him. Yes, he does. In our most Irish accents, this is what he said. They were winning at one point, just remember. And then he said, I thought I had achieved my life's ambition only to have discovered another horse was on the horizon. In light of this win at the Derby, riders of every newspaper were saying this was one of the finest wins they've ever seen. This was a big race. It's like winning the Kentucky Derby or the Preakness or the Belmont by that much. It's just a huge win. Well, later on, he's out galloping around on June 15th. Sugar threw his rider and ran through a hedge on the road and trotted along the local village. So he's just hanging out in the local village. Like, um, I think I'm going to go get some fast food. And maybe go stop in the pub. Go get some Guinness. You know, this, this is normal Irish stuff that he's going to do. Just hanging out. He's got a horse in town, right? So a local spotted him and started following him. until he stopped until Sugar stopped to graze at a hedge and then he led him back into the stable he sugar was unharmed hence his trainer was like this is very lucky that nothing happened that there was no there there was a crossing like there was so much he could have been hit by a car could have hurt himself jumping over something running into something and he was just lucky that nothing happened but just proves that you know, Shooker just wants to be out. He just wants to be loved. Just wants to hang out with the locals, you know. Nothing crazy. And a local? What local is just going up to a horse? Like, I'm fine going to pet a horse, you know, they will cross that fence or anything. I see a horse in town. I'm, like, running away. I mean, I'm not scared of a horse, but horses are big, man. You don't want to just go up to a horse you don't know and just, Hey, horse, let's go back to the stables. Like, I'm guessing, my my guess is, it was just a, oh, that's sugar over there. I'm going to go get that myself. Heard it, huh? And I'm going to go take your back to the stables. The, you know, your local Irish drunk is just not even paying attention, not even caring. I say Irish drunk. Isn't that just an Irish person, right? <laughs> just kidding. So now comes time for the Irish Derby. This is like the Kentucky Derby in Ireland. It is the biggest race in ireland and this is hosted on in its run on it is june twenty seventh, 1981 good old sunburn ah oh, should have dove into that was suspended following in an incident at the royal ascot which isn't you know one of those fancy ties that you know that freddie wears on scooby-doo it's not one of those it's a race and he he did an infraction there so he can't run this race so we go back to Pidgeot to run and ride sugar so they take off again he's just hanging out with the other racers like hey what's up you guys know i'm gonna beat you right we'll, we'll, we'll run for a little bit i'll run with you because like why not i don't want to be alone this whole time so <laughs> he's running." About halfway in the race, he's about third place. And he starts to increase the pace. He, They hit the Nas. He takes the lead with three furlongs to go. About an eighth of a mile. Or about three eighths of a mile left. And then he slowed down the last furlong. And only won by four links. I mean, that's just, that's just nothing, right? That's still not even a photo finish. It's not even close. Four links. It's like 30 feet. So we won two major derbies. And the third coming up. Is the King George the Fourth and Elizabeth Diamond stakes? Cause let's make it as long as possible for a name. So this this race is at Ascot on July twenty fifth, nineteen eighty one. The race was a slow place start. As Sugar always says, just hanging back with the pack. What up, boys? You know I am going to win this, right? I just want to chill with you for a little bit, and then we go take off. Cause I imagine Sugar is just more of a chill horse. So it's a slow pace start. And Sugar's actually boxed in by the other horses. As the race went on and elongated and time went on, it opened up a little more, got some space. And of course, he hit that nas and he took off. And he started to accelerate down the track. And he wins by four links. Another easy victory. No close victories for him. He just wants to go all out, win it all out. Now winning these three derbies was... Very similar to the triple crown we have here in America. They don't have an actual triple crown or anything like that in Ireland, Europe. But winning these three, he was the first horse to win these three in the same year. It was a big deal. These were three major races in the region. Now, after this race, Aga Khan and his trainer, Stout, considered editing sugar in the Prix de Arc de Trompe. I'm so sorry, my French is a wee bit terrible. <laughs> that autumn, they wanted to enter him to him, but they decided that he needed one more race to prepare for that. So they entered him into what would be his actual final race, and that is the Saint Leger Stakes at Doncaster. On September 12, 1981, with oh i got some i got a swim burn ooh that dive gave me such a swim burn yeah swim burn back at the helm at the jockey 10 days before the race though the story was published in the racing news and sporting life that sugar had not been practiced had not been practicing well and had become mulish which mulish is like a mule just lazy walk around so stout stated that the rumors were untrue and sugar ran the Ran the race well, although the ground was soft, and not to his liking, he again. Maybe he didn't like old Swimburn back on him. Maybe he just didn't like the area. Maybe he was just done. Just like, dude, I ran a lot this year. I'm just gonna hang back because he was hang back horse. He had to accelerate to win at the every time, so he just needed to hang back and chill out. He was just like Matthew McConaughey going. All right, all right, all right. I'm just going to hang with you peeps this time. So he ends up finishing fourth. Eleven and a half lengths. Behind, cut above. Surprised by the manner of the loss. Stout and Egacon ran a series of tests for Sugar. Just to see, like, is he really down on it? Or is he he's just not showing it? And showed the horse was in good health. And it worked well in training after the race. But unwilling to risk the horse without knowing what happened. What caused him to just not run his normal way at that. At his final race, they didn't enter him into any more races. They're like, we're going out on top. If he continues to lose, we can't stud him out for as much as he has now. So it's like, he won the championship, retire, I'm done. Barry Sanders, Calvin Johnson, I'm done on top. Type of thing. So now, he's retired at the age of three. And what do you do when you're retired at the age of three? Well, you go and uh, eat some candy. You probably go watch some Spongebob, maybe some Peppa Pig, some Coco Melon. Just relax with that juice box and your PB&J and just enjoy life. Man, to go back to three. <laughs> so he's at three, and what do you do when you're retired at three? Well, you go stud yourself out. God prance, 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 prance. I'm a stud. So actually, after he won the Epson Derby, there was a group of US horse owners that offered Agacon 40 million for the to Syndicate sugar. Now syndicate is kind of like lease the horse it's a it's not buying the horse but you're you're paying you get so syndicating a horse is a way of buying it with a group and so that was that was a lot of money and he turned that down instead he decided to syndicate sugar on his own for 10 million and gave out 40 different shares for 250 thousand dollars a piece so you could buy a piece of the syndicated horse you could buy a piece of him so whatever he made you got a section of it which was quite a lot as we will see and so he was studying at the Bellmany in ireland he arrived in october 1981 and he was paraded down main street oh and ferris bueller showed up and he was like Come on, come on, come on now, baby, now. Come on, man. Come on and work it all out. Work it all out. Come on, come on, now we got sugar here. Sugar, baby. Sugar's gonna go stud. Gonna go stud. Woo! That would have been crazy awesome if Ferris Bueller showed up years before Ferris Bueller actually was made. <laughs> I forgot this was 81. Sorry. But... Years before Ferris Bueller was ever made, that would have been great. But the he w- was paraded. This was a big event. He was on top of the world. He was the best at the time. Literally the same year, he had won three of the biggest derbies. And now he was going out to stud in their town. It was a big event. And at the time, they he was so recognizable that he was, quote, an they had quoted him in many journals that he was a national hero in Ireland. Human or horse, he was the national hero. So in 1982, his only rutting season, his only rutting season. And a rutting season is actually when the time when a horse is ovulating the chance to actually be able to be impregnated. And Sugar had a good year. 44 mares he did the deed with, and 36 of them produced a colt or a filly. He had 36 kids his first year. Thank God horses don't have alimony, right? And you know what's even crazier? They paid for it. One of the most expensive horse prostitutes ever, right? (laughs) <laughs> it's a weird to think about it like that but it's kind of is. They would pay $70 to $80,000 to have their horse get it on with sugar. That's so much money. That's so much money. It's crazy. Oh my goodness, that's insane. That's over $3 million that year. Do you know how much Sugar made in his racing career? During his racing career, he made $440,000. In his first stud career, he made seven times that. So no wonder they decided to retire him and send him out to stud. He was a money-making, loving machine. Now, only one of his kids really went on to win anything. Unfortunately, you can't tell this at the time. So you have a good two, three-year window where you can, no matter what happens to those kids, you can still charge a premium price for your stud. But his only kid that really went on to it was Ethereal. Ethereal. And he ended up winning the Irish St. Ledger, which was the last race that Sugar ran and lost. But he won that one by five links in 1986. But, kind of said, that was about it. That was the only noteworthy offspring he had that first breeding season. Then we start 1983. His second stud season was about to begin. He was in high demand. He had... 55 bookings 55 that's another it's almost 4 million that year but something happened let's get into that something because it is cray cray in a cr- so on a gold and muggy day february 8 1983 sugar it was a normal day for him he went out he did his exercises, he ate, he slept, nothing out of the normal. Jim had Jim Fitzgerald, his trainer, his guy that watched him. His caretaker, let's put it that way. His caretaker had done all his normal chores for the day, been done. He lived at the stables, so it was his home. He lived there with his family, and Just a normal day. He got finished with all his stuff. He was coming home. He ate dinner with his family. And then shortly after, 8 p.m., his son heard a knock on the door. He opened it to find two men wearing ski masks, welding guns. And one of them said, we're here for sugar. We want three million for them. Jim Fitzgerald, the father, he had six kids there at the time. With him. Of course, he's going to go along with whatever these guys say. They mean business. They're, they're forcing him at gunpoint. Jim comes out and takes him to Sugar's stable, where he's joined by six more mass men. And they have a janky horse trailer that barely is a horse trailer, could barely fit Sugar. Jim leads Sugar out to the janky horse trailer, gets him in there, follows whatever these guys are saying. And Jim was scared he was scared of his mind he had no idea what they he knew they wanted money for sugar he knew they were taking sugar but for him did they want to kill him did they want to kidnap him what were they going to do to his family so he just went along with whatever they said so he gets in, they tell him to get into the car with them van van or truck more likely and he does he follows their orders and he rides with them for nearly three hours it had to be the most agonizing three hours. No idea. You're at gunpoint the whole time. You have no idea. You haven't seen these guys' faces. And as a rule, if you don't see any guy's face, you have a chance. That's a rule. A kidnapper, where you don't see their face, you have a chance. If you see their face, that's when you don't have as much of a chance because you can then lead them back to who did it. If they have a mask, you can't. So it's very important just to keep your eyes closed don't look at their faces just look down and just do not make any rash judgments and they in the middle of nowhere in the middle of nowhere after three hours they just let him out and they're like just keep walking and he he just kept walking until he found that they let him out and said keep walking and don't look back they let him out and said don't look back but listen out ...for the word King Neptune. And that is where we will reach out. King Neptune was the code word they were going to use... ...to reach out to... ...let them know that this was them that took sugar. So he walked. Walked, walked, walked. And then he found a payphone. And he called... ...basically... Aga Khan, the VET... ...the Raising Association... ...Irish Ministers everyone but the police that's a little weird you're gonna call everyone but the police really you just got kidnapped at gunpoint and you're not going to go strictly call the police i understand calling aga khan your boss the guy that owns sugar call him first why is aga khan not doing this there's just so many little things here. And they actually don't notify the police till eight hours later. The next day, the next morning, they let them know. And who knows? They could have been in another country by that point. That's the way Europe is set up. They could have been in Great Britain. They could have gone through Great Britain over to the mainland of Europe. They could have gone so many places. So, the kidnappers began negotiation with a representative of Aga Khan using the code name King Neptune. But they always made sure to hang up within 90 seconds of these negotiations so they could not be tracked. So, they knew what they were doing, they knew they could be tracked by phone. So, they did not want to leave anything to chance. So, these guys weren't inexperienced. And what also made it difficult to track these guys down was the day they kidnapped was the biggest horse auction in the area so horse trailers were all over the place to see a horse trailer at any time of the day no matter what it wasn't unusual there were horse trailers everywhere guys bringing horses in guys leaving with horses you leave at different times because you're all over the place it's not just a normal day so to see a horse trailer randomly meant nothing to these guys meant nothing to any witnesses that could have been if it was a normal day the like horse trailer at 3 a.m or at midnight whenever it was yeah that may have stuck out but this did so the the kidnappers kept requesting two million dollars now the horse he was insured for for 10 million so The negotiation didn't really matter. The insurance company may have wanted to pay, but I can't confirm. I was never able to confirm whether the insurance company actually paid off the insurance on sugar. It may not because there's. They wanted $2 million. Nagakon kept refusing. He could have paid. He could have paid it like it was chump change, like he was going to go get a, a combo meal at. Like he was getting a combo deal at McDonald's. It did two million almost meant nothing to Agricon, okay? So it's a lot of money, but it also is not a lot of money to him. And he had other racehorses too. But if he got him back, he would make even more money with them. So he did want him back, but if he paid them, then who's to stop this from happening to other racehorses that are worth millions? To anything else he owned that people would negotiate, kidnap, try to get a ransom from him. It is all that. So he just like, I don't want to risk it. I'm just not going to negotiate. It's a horse. I know it's an important horse. It's important investment. It's worth millions. He's worth millions. He's going to make millions. He, He is a living thing. Like, Yes, but it's also like they don't want to hurt him. He thinks too, because th- there's always a chance he might. So the Hunt for Sugar becomes huge in the media. Everyone in Ireland is looking for them, and everyone in the UK is helping. He is like, when I say he was an Irish hero, he was, and he was known all over the place. And the police offered over $150,000 in a reward to help in any tip that could help get them, get sugar returned. That's a lot. That's more than you get for some people. That's crazy. So many, it's a horse. It's a horse. And in this, all this media storm and this constant negotiation, eventually the kidnappers were like, there's been an accident, and sugar's dead. And that's it. That was the last they heard from him, the last anyone's heard about it. And they had no idea where he was, whether this was true, or anything like that. And years and years went by. Decades. And then a senior IRA leader. And then in 1999, Sean... O'Carahan, a former member of the IRA, came out with some details that were saddening but offered some, maybe a little bit of closure. A little bit. Now, if you don't know the IRA, the IRA in Ireland is the Irish Republic Association and it's it's a divisive group. It is a terrorist group for most Though they aren't, their goal isn't terrorism, they do terrorist acts. So it wouldn't be a, a crazy thing for them to be involved in this. The, the, the IRA, their goal is to reunite Northern Ireland with Ireland. Northern Ireland is a part of the UK, and they want, in Ireland, it's a separate thing. They want to reunite the whole Irish thing. That was their goal. They didn't succeed in that goal. And it's still somewhat around not as prevalent. At this time, it was way more prevalent than it is now. But it was still crazy. And it's estimated that they needed 2 to $3 million a year to run their organization and they were negotiating for 2 to 3 million dollars in the ransom it could just be a coincidence obviously but it's a little odd right that they would match that well for their you know daily their yearly budget and what they're asking for it would make sense right how else would a, a gang a rogue organization get money through acts like this, it would make a lot of sense. But he offered details that, at that point, not released that the code word was King Neptune, and he knew the code word was King Neptune when he talked to authorities. So that made his statement a little more credible. What's sad is the story of what happened. So, according to him, what happened was it was a crazy night. Things, you know, it was muggy. It was foggy, it was cold, it was just not a great night to, like, have this event happen. But it was also the perfect night because of everything else that was going on, they could get in and out without being unnoticed. But because they didn't have a great trailer, and and the Frank Dick, like, Sugar being Frank Dick, and not being... this wasn't in his normal schedule he's like i exercise and i get ready to have sex and that's my life i don't do anything i don't go if i go anywhere it's in style it's not like this it's organized and this was unorganized but it wasn't quick they according to him they machine gunned him down not just a little bit they machine gunned him so much that he slipped in his own blood and eventually passed away they didn't now he didn't say where he was buried. He didn't say everything else that happened. He just said it was a long process and he wouldn't die. And he didn't he died from blood loss. Not the gunshots, just the loss of blood. That's what he says. I mean, gunshots were part of that too, obviously. But yeah, they don't know where exactly they it's believed His body was buried in a bog or dumped into the Sea of Ireland. O'Connor wasn't there for that part, so he doesn't know where the body is. Dumped into the Sea, could be true. At this point, it would just be bones. You wouldn't be able to really find or probably verify that they're even him. And Good old Swinburne, his jockey. Got the good old Swinburne. He was quoted as saying, no horse deserves an ending like that, let alone one a special sugar. Good old Swinburne, back, and he, after hearing this news about the informant and how sugar may have passed, he said, no horse deserves anything like that, let alone one as special sugar. That's true. That's true. No animal. Nobody. Anybody. Anyone breathing, anything breathing doesn't deserve that. So, technically, the case, though, since there is no body and only an informant, the case is still technically open. And it's crazy that this had to happen. This didn't have to happen. It's greed, it's corruption, it's terrorism, it's so many things that went involved, and so many things you don't think about with horse racing. But it, it happened, and it's what we have to deal with now. We just need to remember that, I don't know it's a crazy story it's one that will live in infamy it's one that they even made a movie about starring mickey Rourke. I mean, it's all about the kidnapping it's just i don't know it's sad it is a sad moment in sports is a sad moment and unfortunately it's not the only one horse kidnapping still happens and it's something that if there's value it's gonna happen these horses can be worth millions still are worth millions whether they're racing or studs they're worth millions and the fact that that happens because of gambling is crazy but it's enjoyable watching these amazing animals hit their peak It's enjoyable. I'm not going to lie. It can be really exciting. But not worth lives, Human or horse. Not worth it. Not worth it at all. But that's our story on sugar. Sad ending, I know. I know. Don't cry. There's no crying in horse racing. Just like there's no crying in baseball. So let's wrap this up. Thank you for listening to the Sports Moments Podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's tale. If you did, please give us a review or five stars or wherever you listen to. It helps us grow our community and help tell more engaging stories. You can follow us at Sports Moments Pod on Instagram and Twitter. We post pictures about stories, what happened today in history, different things like that. Just try to be a good sports overall social media company. We still are a new podcast. We're still growing, still working on a few kinks, still working on our website. So if you would like to contact us with a great topic or your view on any episode we've done, you can email us at sportsmomentspodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And as we grow, we're looking for great youth sports charities to donate to because I think it's important to give the youth a chance to learn about sports and bring that love so they can become sports historians as well so if you have a, a great charity that you are involved in or you think we should help out please contact us as well again thank you for listening and come back next week for another episode of the sports moments podcast where every sports moment deserves its replay